show of sexual magic is brought to you by adamandeve.com. Are you having some problems in the bedroom? Or maybe you just want to spice up your sex life. Go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DRINKINGBROS to get 50% off one purchase along with free shipping. Peruse the catalog with your loved one and see if anything interests you. At adamandeve.com, promo code DRINKINGBROS gets you 50% off in free shipping. You're welcome. Also, hardafseltzer.com. Some of the finest, hardest seltzer in the land. It's 8%, so you know it's good. You'll be blacked out within an hour if you drink three of these. Or, if you're a real hombre, you can gun through a whole case. We ship right to your house in 41 states, and we're live in over 100 stores in Tennessee. Go to hardafseltzer.com today and check out the store locator. Let's start the fucking show. After a week of sitting in this hellhole, one thing is certain. Jail is boring as shit. There is literally nothing to do in here. If it weren't for the bottle of laudanum I stashed and the insane amount of sex I was having, I probably would have hung myself. Exactly like the fat Mexican is trying to do in the cell next to me right now. The deputy's keys jangle as he walks up to my cell. Your trials today, St. James. Put these on. He hands me a set of handcuffs. Mustache is coming back in real nice, boss. I say with extreme sarcasm. If I ever figure out how you did this. You should probably post a wanted sign up in town. He bristles as he unlocks my cell after I put the cuffs on. On my way past the fat Mexican cell, he screams out, Oh, thank God! He sprints over to his hole dug in the ground and pulls his pants down as fast as he can. This isn't good. The noises I hear next can only be described as what I imagine a grown elephant would sound like giving birth to triplets standing upright on an old hardwood floor. The deputy and I look at each other and then run for the front door like two robbers who just threw a lit dynamite into a safe. Except this time, we don't make it out quickly enough. The shit smell catches up with us a few steps before we hit the front door, causing us to vomit upon impact. We hit the ground and prepare for the next wave. With both of us vomiting uncontrollably over and over again now, we are forced to help each other. Through our tears, we make a silent pact not to leave the other one behind. Do I hate the law? Worse than dysentery. But I wouldn't wish that smell on my own worst enemy. I muster as much strength as I have left and carry the deputy outside. When I kick open the front door, I fall to my knees as I am finally able to inhale clean air again. The 30 marshals that are waiting outside to escort me to the trial immediately draw their guns, thinking I have killed the deputy. That's when the next tsunami wave of raw stink hits their faces, inducing vomiting amongst them as well. One marshal physically can't take it, puts a gun to his head, ending his own life. 
Somebody shut the fucking door! One of the marshals screams out. Five or six marshals finally stagger to the front door and shut it. The town doctor will later declare two of them legally blind. Also, the local schoolhouse will be evacuated and closed for the remainder of the day. The last thing I remember is hearing the Mexican's laughter echoing out of his jail cell as the marshals lead me to the courthouse. That putrid fucking smell will live in our clothes like smoke after you've been standing too close to a campfire. When they lead me into the courthouse, it is packed, buzzing with anticipation. Loretta and all my kids are seated in the front row of the gallery. Even Daniel's propped up in the corner, still in a full body cast. Seeing them makes me realize how much I've missed them. Seated in the row behind them, I see Sheila who gives me a slight index finger wave. Next to her is a man licking his lips. God damn it, it's the gypsy woman, dressed as an old man with a fake long gray beard. I shake my head and take a seat at the defense table. Directly behind me sits Ron, holding a large sketch pad and a piece of charcoal. I turn back toward him as the jury is let in. Is that for tomorrow's paper? Yes, it will go to print tonight. Make sure to shade in my cheekbones to accentuate them if you're using a close-up. If it's a full body shot, just shade the fuck out of my crotch area, obviously. He nods his head as a fat judge in his 50s walks in, immediately shuffling in after him as the prosecutor also in his 50s. He takes a seat and winks at the marshals who turn at each other and laugh. (laughs) Good luck, St. James. No one beats Prosecutor Van Buren. One of them spouts out. Van Buren? Shit. He's related to the Schlagers. The feds have brought in a ringer to take me down. At this point, though, I have no idea to what extent. The following is the exact word-for-word transcript from the court reporter of the trial. Relax. It didn't last long. Judge. All rise. Everybody stands. State of California versus St. James Street, James, on this day, August 2nd, 1853. I understand that Mr. Street James is representing himself in this trial. St. James, I am, Your Honor. Judge, do you have any previous legal experience? St. James, yes, I have, Your Honor. I successfully represented myself in Yermo, California in 1845 when I was wrongfully accused of selling teeter-totters to a group of legless children. I also represented myself in Carson, California when I was 14 years old. That time I was wrongfully accused of operating an underground tortoise fight club. Both trials resulted in not guilty verdicts, Your Honor. Judge, were they snapping turtles? St. James, no, sir, Your Honor. They were box turtles injected with chili powder. Allegedly. Judge. Strange. Prosecutor Clyde Van Buren out of West Virginia. Van Buren. Are you any relation to former President Martin Van Buren? Prosecutor. Yes, sir. He's my father. St. James. Hey, he took a shit at my house. What are the chances? Judge. Quiet, Mr. Street James. Mr. Van Buren, he is a great man. Also, quite an impressive lawyer. St. James. Objection, Your Honor. I am also a great man and an impressive lawyer, too, yet I was not recognized as such when I presented you with the legal trials I have successfully won. I want that on the record. Judge. 
Noted. Gentlemen, let's hear your opening remarks. Prosecutor, you have the floor. Prosecutor. Thank you, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this man sitting on my left is a stone-cold murderer, a killer, an assassin, a man so filled with violence and hatred that he murdered 17 and 19 brothers in the same family. One was mentally and physically retarded. Can you imagine the grief that the other 17 brothers will incur when they come out here next week to bury half their family? St. James. Jesus, how many fucking brothers do they have, man? Judge. Banging his gavel. It is not your turn to speak, Mr. Street James. Please continue, Mr. Van Buren. Prosecutor. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Street James has also murdered two marshals and caused another one to take his own life. He may have even murdered the new town sheriff, though the body has not been located. I've sequestered over 176 witnesses who saw him kill each and every one of these men. They have all agreed to testify against him. In all my years of being a lawyer, I've never seen a more open and shut case than this one. I feel confident that after you hear all the testimony, you will agree with me. Pointing at the defendant. This man should and will be hung in the middle of the street for all the wrong he has done. Thank you, Your Honor. Judge. Thank you, Mr. Van Buren. Mr. Street James, you may address the jury. St. James. Did I kill all these people? Probably. But I'm going to deny the shit out of it when the official trial gets underway. Even if I did do it, let me ask you this. What kind of family can you kill 17 to 19 members of and it only adds up to half? Judge. Bangs his gavel. Get to the point, Mr. Street James. By the way, what kind of name is Street James? St. James. Topographic, Your Honor. The point is, I have seven kids, so I can appreciate family. Pardon me? I now only have six kids. My other son is dead because the Schlager brothers dipped him in a scalding pot of melted gold and hung his statue from the top of my barn. Do you know how heavy it was just to move just so I could put him in the ground for a proper burial? No one helped me carry him. There was only one set of footprints in the sand that day. Points to the prosecutor. This fuck didn't say anything about that, did he? No, he just focused on the negative like an asshole. He stands up here in his bullshit seersucker suit and tells you how many sweet witnesses he has. You know how many witnesses I have from the events that I'm accused of? Three. Two of whom are dead, killed by the Schlagers. The last witness is my son, who the Schlager brothers shot 63 times and now resides in a body cast over there. Points to a child in a body cast who is drooling on himself. Am I supposed to apologize for having one witness who is still alive? I'll call him to the stand if you want. I'll ask him questions for weeks if you want. Points to the prosecutor. You want to drag this trial out with your witnesses? Fine. I'll drag it out with mine. We can take this bitch into the middle of next year. The courthouse erupts in applause. Judge. Banging his gavel. Order. Order in the court. Mr. Street James and Mr. Van Buren, can I see you in my chambers for a brief recess? St. James. Is there liquor in these chambers you speak of? Judge. Now. All three men exit and retire to the judge's chambers. End of the court transcripts.
walk back into the judge's chambers, I immediately spot a bottle of whiskey and begin to pour myself a glass without asking. The judge unzips his robe, exposing his nude body, including his dong. He sits in a hardback chair behind his desk and lights up a cigar as he wipes the sweat off his brow, exhaling deeply. It's hotter than the devil's dick in there. <laughs> I hear that, brother. There's nothing but duck butter inside these old jeans, I say as we have a laugh. Uh, uh, what is this? What's going on here? Are we going to have a trial or what? Mr. Van Buren barks out. <laughs> I'd rather not. This really will take forever and it's August. Let's just see if we can hammer something out. Mr. Van Buren is outraged. But he killed 22 people, including two marshals and possibly a sheriff. Those boys killed his kid and a couple of clowns who provided nothing but joy to this town. As far as the marshals, he said it was an accident and I believe him. You said yourself you haven't located the body of the sheriff, so what do we got? Some eye for an eye common man shit, which isn't worth going to trial for that long. I say we give him a day in jail for each man killed, minus the kid, and a fine. Uh, Judge, with all due respect, that's only a 21-day sentence. Prosecutor Van Buren thunders. With a fine, the judge fires back at him. Time to seal this deal. Whoopsie. I say as I cough loudly and throw the remainder of my gold from my leather pouch onto the ground. The judge laughs so hard his dong bounces up off the chair. Mr. Van Buren appears outraged. Well, I have never seen anything like this in my career. You will go down eventually, Mr. Street James. I can assure you of that. Mr. Van Buren slams the door and leaves. After he storms out, the judge and I end up having eight more glasses of whiskey, just rapping about life. He then picks up a tin can connected to a piece of yarn that is hanging out of the window behind him. You, uh, want to share a prostitute? He asks me. <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. We laugh mightily and he yells into the can. Find me any prostitute off the streets, George. Where does that line go? I have no idea. I don't even know a George. <laughs> More laughter ensues, and at this point, I just assume he's drunk. Five minutes later, the ugly prostitute who blew me in the street opens up the window and crawls in. After dusting herself off, she holds up an index finger before sticking her arm back out of the window and dragging in the piece of plywood with a hole cut in it. The judge roars in delight. <laughs> Glorious! Indeed it is. I line up behind him and we proceed to get properly blown. Twenty minutes later, we exit his chambers and walk back into the court. The judge bangs his gavel and announces to the court that we have reached a plea deal. Once the plea is read, the entire courtroom erupts in joy and laughter. Women are crying tears of joy. Ned nod their heads in respect. My kids are jumping in the air and Daniel continues to drool. The only ones unhappy about my plea are the marshals and Loretta. I lean in to kiss her, but she moves her head out of the way. What's wrong? I'll be home in three weeks, I say to her. Jesus, St. James. I could hear the judge moaning from his chambers. Everyone could. 
Do you have to throw it in my face how many women you sleep with when I'm not around? I look like a fool. You knew who I was before you married me. A rape survivor. Sometimes my past follows me, baby. You know that. But I'm a man first and foremost. You're also a father. Look at them. Look into the eyes of your children. I scan down the row of my children who look up at me with the same desperation in their eyes as when I was late for dinner. Daniel nods off and falls over to the ground, his hard body cast hitting the floor. Loretta holds her tears back as it sets in that maybe I haven't been the best father. Come on, children. Let's go home. You'll see Daddy in a few weeks. She helps Daniel up, puts him in a wooden wheelchair, and rolls him out of the courtroom with my other kids in tow. Even though it's the gold rush and it's completely acceptable to sleep with whores, there's an unspoken rule about discretion. Your wife is your wife, whores are fucking whores, and you don't bring that shit inside the home. She knows my sexual prowess is that of an untamed wildebeest, and she's not fucking stupid. Today, I made her look like an asshole, and I genuinely feel bad about that. As the marshals lead me out of the courtroom in handcuffs, I glance over Ron's shoulder and see that he has gone with a close-up sketch, which is probably the right move. My cheekbones are accentuated exactly how I like them. I nod at him and show him a sliver of respect, so he can at least try to have some semblance of a normal life. Plus, I might need him in the future for something. On my way back to jail, I notice a slew of wagons rolling into town stocked full of gold mining supplies and crates stamped with the word Schlager on them in big black letters. One of the wagons stops in front of the saloon, and Manuel walks out to meet it. Prosecutor Van Buren strides over and stuffs a thick envelope of money in his hand and starts laughing in his face as he makes a throat slash sign. That's when it dawns on me that he isn't in town just for the trial. He is in town for something more. I think back to Van Buren's opening remarks in court when he said that shit about me only killing half of them and how the other half were coming to bury their brothers. He was planting the seed. Sven was right. They don't die, they multiply. A coldness washes over me as I realize that I'm going away for three weeks and I can't do anything to stop them from taking over. At least there's a gentleman's code that you don't harm another man's family while he's locked up. A solitary tumbleweed kicks up dust rolling down Main Street as I stand there, lost in thought about how I shame Loretta. My moment of reflection is soon interrupted as the front door of the jailhouse opens and the remnants of that smell hit me square in the face again. The deputy leads me back to my cell where I see the fat Mexican up to his old tricks, sitting on the makeshift toilet while eating a can of beans. He looks up, surprised to see me. Oh, you're back already? Yeah, I'm fucking back. And I'm here for three more weeks. I know you ripped the seams on your cheeks, and I want you to know a man took his life because of it. Your stink ends right now for the next three weeks, and so help me God, if I even hear a fart come out of you, I will kill you. Got it? He begins sweating heavily. One week was hard enough. I don't think I can hold out for three whole weeks. The deputy takes his cuffs off me and puts me back in my cell, closing the door behind me. He hands me a sewing kit, and I look at him surprised. It's from your wife. She gave it to me in court today. Said you asked for it. 
I nod my head and squeeze the kit in my hand, feeling worse about my actions earlier today. God damn it, Loretta. It's the little things that women know how to get you with. Thanks, boss, I say to him. He nods at me in appreciation for saving his life earlier. You do what you need to do if his poop chute opens again. I'm indebted to you. I won't say a word whatever you decide to do. The deputy tips his hat to me, acknowledging what I did for him earlier, and I respect him for that. He recognizes I saved his life, and in return, I decide to live out my three weeks in jail without harming him. Plus, if I rub out another member of the law and get arrested for it, how am I going to pay off the judge? I blew all my last remaining chunks of gold, and my mine shaft is dry. Pun intended. When I walk out of jail and into the streets after my three-week stint is over, I look up at the sun and think, Holy shit, that thing is goddamn bright. I take my shirt off, letting the rays greet my unusually pale frame. A familiar gallop echoes through the air, and of course it is my steed trotting over to greet me with a saddlebag full of dynamite and a fresh bottle of laudanum. I miss this son of a bitch. While on the inside, five things became painstakingly evident. Number one, my wife definitely hates me. She didn't visit me one single time after I was sentenced. No food, no basket weave HJs, nothing. Number two, I am completely out of gold and I'm fucking broke. I can't even dig through my family's shit anymore. Number three, the Schlager brothers have completely taken over. According to the newspapers I read in jail, this is no longer a backwoods operation. This is some well-run gangster shit. Van Buren is now running shit like a boss. He's in charge of the new set of Schlager brothers that came to town, and they are 100% business. They even wear suits and bowler hats now, so they're more easily identifiable. Number four. Never trust a gypsy woman. The disguises might have been diversion tactics just so she can have an actual dude blow me, which I think is what she wanted all along. Throughout the three weeks, I became so exhausted from her comings and goings that I couldn't tell if it was really her anymore. In fact, I'm almost positive that on one of my last days in the clink, I was filleted by a normal dude named Bobby. I can't be too sure, but this is my best guess. She finally has the best secret of all time to keep to herself. Number five, the human body can only do eight to ten days without having a bowel movement before you die. That fat Mexican didn't make it out of that cell. I'm not sure if the coroner took out the stitching or not before they buried him, but my guess is no. The bowels of hell would have opened and swallowed the earth. Restin, actually, fuck that guy. Riding up to my house, I see Loretta and the kids planting fruits and vegetables in a brand new garden. Something we haven't had since we were poor. The kids all scream and run up to hug me as I hop down from my horse. I'm genuinely grateful to see them. Hold your hands out. I brought you guys back something from the joints. They clap excitedly as I pull out a set of chess pieces that I have hand-carved out of soap. My youngest sticks a bishop in his mouth and starts violently sneezing. Loretta walks over and pulls it out from under his tongue. He laughs and walks away. <laughs> He's walking now? Wow, I really missed a lot these last three weeks. He's been walking for two years. 
She says hastily. Oh, he's that one. Got it. What's with the garden? We're out of money. It's been up to me to feed and raise six kids while you were locked up getting blowjobs from strangers for the last month. What? Who told you that? There's all these rumors going around town that strange women and men have been crawling in and out of your cell at all hours of the day. Well, that's why they're called rumors. Because there's no room or circumstance for matters of the blindness of others' chatter. Just stop. Do you even hear yourself? You're just making up words. Look, I don't have it in me to fight with you. Dinner's almost ready. Wash up before you come inside the house. You smell like a fart in water. I smell myself as she walks into the house. Indeed, I do stink. Daniel walks out of the front door using only one crutch now. He pulls a bottle of laudanum out of his back pocket and tosses it to me. I catch it and immediately begin double-fisting with the other bottle my steed brought me. Daniel pulls his shirt up over his nose as he hobbles down the front steps of the house. I love you, Dad, but you smell like a dead seal's cock. We walk down to the river so we can catch up while I wash myself. In the water, Daniel regales me with stories that in no way, shape, or form happened. It becomes painfully clear that he's been hallucinating on laudanum for weeks. On the way back, a bald eagle swoops down in front of us and Daniel punches it in the face, knocking it dead to the ground. I stare at him in wonderment. Did you just punch a bald eagle out of the air? Yeah, it's the only way we can eat meat around here now. He says with a shrug. What do you mean? You'll see. He tucks the bald eagle into his back pocket and hobbles back up the steps of the house. I take a seat at the kitchen table with my boys and lead them in a we-want-food chance as we bang our forks and knives on the table. It was nice to be home. Until Loretta walks over with bowls of salad, placing them down in front of us one by one. Um, what the fuck is this? I ask as I throw my utensils down in disgust. It's salad. I know what it is, but where is some form of meat? We can only afford to eat what we can grow off the land, so we have to eat salads. We can't afford any chicken or livestock, hence, no meat is served. Daniel just punched a live bald eagle out of the air, cook that up. Give your mom the bald eagle. Daniel pulls it out of his pocket and slams it down on the table. Loretta's face grows red with anger. If you guys want to punch bald eagles down out of the sky, then cook them yourself. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? It means that I still believe in this country. And I don't condone killing the animal that's the symbol for American freedom just so we can have some meat. I wasn't raised that way. You were raised by a bunch of ginger bushes who sucked the starch out of every last potato they came across in Ireland. It wasn't until this little leprechaun married you and gave you the magic pot of gold so that you could have all this shit. Where's that gold now, huh? Oh, right. It's melted onto our dead son, who was murdered because of you. I could have fucking knocked a gold chip off his shoulder, but you... Don't you dare say it. I think better of it and shake my head. She stares me down before storming up to the bedroom with her salad as I sit in silence. My boys look up at me expectantly. I know I have to do something.
All right. Who wants to go outside with me and build a campfire to cook up some bald eagle? Everyone immediately raises their hands except Daniel, who stares off into the distance, mumbling. Dad, I killed a leprechaun while you were gone. I never told Mom. It's in the barn. I shake my head and rub my temples. I'm sure you did, buddy. Let's go start that fire. That night, my six remaining sons and I build a campfire and enjoy some fine bald eagle fresh out of the sky. Daniel keeps the beak and hangs it on a necklace with a collection of other beaks from other kills he's made. I really did miss a lot while I was gone. After putting the kids to bed, I head out to the barn to think. It's nice to curl up with my steed again and not have to listen to Loretta cry. If you think hearing a woman cry is terrible, try hearing her cry in an Irish accent. Holy shit, it's awful. With the barn door open and my head resting on my steed's belly, I stare up at the bright full moon with sadness. As delicious as it was, that tiny slice of bald eagle tonight isn't going to fill me up on the reg. I'm not eating salads every day and we can't keep eating bald eagles. Actually, maybe we can. Judging by Daniel's necklace, this isn't the first time he's done this. Why am I considering this? I need money ASAP, so I start to ponder all my options. First of all, the Schlager brothers have too much manpower. Can I overtake them and kill them all again like I did the last 17? Probably. But they'd more than likely kill my entire family in the process. Is that something I'm willing to risk? I take another sip of laudanum to silence these thoughts. That night, I toss and turn in constant fear that the gypsy woman is going to try and wake me with a blowy. I finally give up on sleep as the sun slowly begins to rise. Strapping the saddle to my steed, I notice a foul smell drifting into my horse's stall. I draw my gun and cautiously walk back to check the rest of the stalls. When I approach the last one, the smell gets stronger. I kick open the stall door and see a dead leprechaun lying face up on the hay. Holy shit, that son of a bitch actually did it. Daniel, come outside and bury that leprechaun you killed. He fucking stinks. Okay, Dad. 